Hi, and welcome back to Good Romance. This week we have just a fantastic guest, Princess Weeks. We had the most fun talking. We talked about A Duke by Default by Alyssa Cole. As you're aware, though, if you're a fan, uh, we mostly talk about other stuff. The book is just a framing device, so I'm sorry if we don't talk about it enough to your liking. It is an amazing book. Alyssa Cole is a is a master of the genre. If you're interested in her other books, you definitely should read them. This is the second in the Reluctant Royal series. I don't think we spoil it much, but it's a really good book, and I do recommend it. Uh, thank you so much, Princess, for being just such an amazing guest, and we had such a great time, and I'm just such a fan. If you're a fan, you're going to love listening to her talk about, we talk about so much different stuff in this episode, and I think it's just a banger. Enjoy! to Good Romance, Princess Week. So excited to have you here. Tell us where people know you from. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. I am a like minor YouTuber. I make YouTube videos about <laughs> pop culture. Minor? No. Uh, no. I'm a YouTuber. I do videos about pop culture. Um, I also write full-time at the Mary Sue. I host, uh, I co-host the It's Lit PBS channel and podcast, and I also co-host the Netflix Geeked podcast so doing a lot of things out there oh yeah i mean i have found that with a lot of like internet like people who do internet for a living it's like i'm known for this one thing but i have five million other things (laughs) yeah it's like like, you know i have to do 25 things (laughs) yeah this is what pays my bills these are the 25 things but you know my face from this one thing Mm -hmm, absolutely yeah. So you selected an Alyssa Cole book who I, I don't know who is nailing it more these days. I mean, obviously, there are a lot of really great writers out there, but like she's just her range is amazing. She's, she's an doing incredible her romance person. Thing. Yeah. She's so I mean, I've never met her, but um, she's doing romance. She's got her thriller out. I don't know if she has anything on. I was checking NetGalley to see if there's anything upcoming for her right now, but I didn't see anything. But so you picked the second yes. in Reluctant Royals. Uh, a Duke by Default, uh, which is one of my favorites. Um, but yeah, Alyssa Cole is such an excellent, versatile writer. I've met her in person and she is just literally one of the loveliest people. Her aura, her energy is so inviting and... She, she is one of the best in the business right now. Oh, yeah. I'm always really excited when um, an author comes around who just can do a lot of different things. And obviously, there's jealousy there. I'm a writer, too. I'm familiar with, like, oh, no, you're doing a thing. But what's great about it is that, like, I can't really think of a writer who could write the stories that she writes the way that she can. What's so great is when you see her voice coming through in her books. And you're like, oh, this is a unique thing that only she can do so I can't even be jealous I can just be happy that I get to enjoy it absolutely like she and I think just like you know um Beverly Jenkins it's like it's incredible Mm. because so often romance limit like especially because Regency romance is so popular we're so used to seeing the limits of like what black led romance novels can look like and so it's really great to just see with more and more black authors getting opportunity just how expansive those stories can be especially when they're just given the opportunity to make them in the first place oh yeah a lot of people think that like diversity in romance began with bridgerton like two Absolutely years ago not. and i'm like <laughs> Beverly jenkins 
has been writing for 40 years for you to think I know. that? Like, Miss Bev is a pillar of the romance community. I'm sure you're familiar oh, yeah. with her internet presence. Uh, just a ray of light, a ray of sunshine. We don't deserve her. We never yeah. have. Like, there are so many, like, black romance authors that are doing that. I think of uh, Rebecca, I, I, hold on, let me find her last name. Rebecca Witherspoon, Witherspoon? who wrote Rafe, which was, like, mm-hmm. so decadent. Um, one of my favorites. Um uh, Tabitha Brown, who wrote like the, the Brown Sisters trilogy, like those books are so fun. There's just so much amazing stuff out there that I, you know, as much as I enjoy the Netflix series Bridgerton, I hate giving that series too much credit sometimes because the books are very white mm. and very cis and very heteronormative. And I, I just don't want Julia Quinn to get credit for the diversity that like other people put into her works because it's not there. And in comparison, when you see, like, all of these, you know, black authors and intersectional writers writing about, you know, black love or interracial love in just any environment, you kind of realize how limited a lot of these writers are letting themselves be. Oh, fully. And I think I think the reason that credit is is being given not just to Julia Quinn, but to the Bridgerton franchise as it's run by Chris Van Allen, as it's run by a Shonda Rhimes production, is because it's really big and visible and budgeted. And so they're not seeing like the Therese Baharis of the world. They're not seeing Vanessa Riley. They're not seeing like all of these black writers who've been doing the work and proving they can sell. Like these are not just, I mean, not to like criticize indie. I love indie. And I think you can do a lot in indie that you just For can't sure. do in trad pub. But there are traditionally published black women who are out there and, and black non-binary people. And like, I mean, there are so many... Um, and black men, of course, although uh, men are always are often forgotten in romance because there are not a lot of like high profile men in the genre. But my point is that like there are people out there doing the work and I really wish that their works were getting optioned instead of like putting a like essentially slapping like there was that whole controversy about like putting a cover, putting like, the Bridgerton series cover onto these yeah. very white books. It really just kind of feels inauthentic to like give that representation points. Congratulations, you checkmarked it. Like, to these people who, well, to Julia Quinn specifically, who, I read the books. Eh. I mean, they're not, you know, I, I don't think that they're, like, bad, like, oh, these shouldn't even be published. But, like, I think, like, they're not, I, I wouldn't write, read that and think, oh, I need to make a Netflix series out of this right now, or else I will right. surely die. I mean, I saw, like, I read the first three books, and Kathany is my favorite of the three so far, Kate and Anthony. But I think when I read them, mm-hmm. I was so surprised. Like, honestly, it kind of made me re- like realize how much Shonda Rhimes and I might have in common because, like, you know, to, to choose to see yourself in a white tech is something that, like, a lot of readers of color have learned to do. And I think it's so upsetting at times to realize that as people of color raised in, you know, majority white places, that we know how to relate to whiteness but whiteness hasn't learned to relate to us so much so that our presence in the genre is felt like an invasion to them. Meanwhile, we can like read a text in like, like, you know, I am a huge Jane Austen person. Like I can read an entirely white novel and just be like, yep, I can relate to this character or that character and like all of that. And I think it just shows how the limits are really socially taught um, to especially white people to expect a monolithic experience and how anything beyond that is weird to them. Oh yeah. And I think 
it's kind of like a double consciousness thing. Is that is that Hughes or is that um, I'm always forgetting. I mean to Google it I every single time. Double consciousness, I think, is du Du Bois. Mm, okay, I yeah. think it's Du Bois. But there's like you know black people in America, especially like going through our school system. I particularly, I'm a fangirl of your. Um, should we read um, the um, oh what's the book called? It's the one with the the. It's the one with the Civil War glamorizing the South. Um, the oh, Margaret um, Mitchell book? Oh, Gone with the, the Wind. Yeah. So if you haven't seen, listeners haven't seen Princess's video about, like, should we read Gone with the Wind in school? Which I don't think, I didn't realize anyone still did. But to be fair, I have a very, like, my, my school experience is not, like, normal people's school experience because I went to school in D.C. where, like, we actually have a pretty decent curriculum that has, like, oh, American works are not all just, like, the sun yeah. also rises. Like, I read Their Eyes Are Watching God in, like, 10th grade before most oh, of people, cool. like, pe yeah, people, like, you know, a mile and a half from me in Virginia didn't have sex ed, <laughs> and I was getting yeah. to read, like, her hips were, like, grapefruits in her hip pockets. Like, you know, you don't yeah. get that everywhere. Yeah. That sentence is, is one of my favorite ones in all of American literature, so I've, like, I, like if I was a tattoo person. Um, but, you know, I, I think that, typically speaking, people of color, marginalized people are forced like you said, to see ourselves in groups that aren't a part of us. Like, I watched so many TV shows as a kid just begging for crumbs. Like, we watched um, Arthur because we had public television. Um, and mm -hmm. I was just like, oh, Kwanzaa, that's awesome. Oh, we're going to get one Jewish character for like half a second and then it's never mentioned again. Good enough for me. Francine is my queen. I hold on to it forever. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, anything. Yeah. It really can feel... You know, I remember like I read... A Jewish romance when it came out I forget the name of it but I just you know the thing about it too is that it's about solidarity as well you know for me even if it's not a black led text if it's about a marginalized group I want to check it out you know I want to root for those accomplishments because I understand that we are all rising these ships up together I think about even mm -hmm. though it's a movie I remember when Crazy Rich Asians came out. And I remember, like, mm -hmm. every, like, black person I knew, because I'm, I'm mostly in, in black spaces, was like, we're going to see this. We're gonna... Like, there was so much solidarity watching in that experience because we recognize, in a lot of ways, the importance of, like, seeing ourselves on something. And for me, it just is so great when I read Alyssa Cole's work because... It's written with like really thoughtful, engaging black women and black men. Um, you know, this particular book, it's a white and Latino man, man who is the love interest. But just the way that she knows how to write black queerness, you know, black, you know, heteronormativity and just it's so good. And I just keep thinking, where is the adaptation for this? You know, like this story in particular, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, just to kind of touch on it, you know, it's about this. Um, young woman named Portia Hobbs, who's like a New York socialite. She's super hot, um, but she thinks she's kind of she's kind of a fuck up, and she decides that she's gonna go do an apprenticeship with a swords maker in Scotland, which is so. It's like <laughs> it was a thing I thought about. Like, whoa, I love that for I love that for her. Um, you know, they did just go to Scotland, um, and she ends up meeting uh, Tavish McKenzie who is like hot and Scottish and they make swords together and fall in love as you do. Like that just makes sense to me. Like mm -hmm. if you're by, 
if you're by a blacksmith, you're going to get turned on. I mean, that's just the way it goes. Yeah, it's like he says in the book, there's going to be a certain level of um, of innuendo happening. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it's just like, and he's just like, and she writes her love interest, regardless of whatever their ethnic or racial background, to just be so thoughtful and interesting without having to be perfect. You know, I think that when mm-hmm. we have conversations about like, sort of like with Bridgerton, for example, about how a lot of the guys in that series tend to be really giant jerks um and then they grow into not jerks through the love of a good woman uh which is a lot of work uh we should get paid for that (laughs) um but in this it really is like people who are already complete human beings but have not found the time to really address their own deeper emotional issues because they're so wrapped up in work or they're trying to improve on themselves they're very like humane things that stop you from finding love in that moment. You know, it's fear. It's um, trying to reprioritize yourself. I mean, Portia's whole thing is that, like, she's trying to focus on taking care of herself. And it's like, how do you work on self-care and self-growth while being in a new relationship when you also have to support and help someone else grow? So I think those are just, you know, really interesting, believable stakes that allow you to root for both characters without either of them being particularly toxic which is a great thing to see (laughs) yeah i mean i think people in kind of the more mainstream romance like like movies and stuff you see a lot of like toxic stuff played off as romance like particularly things like stories like the notebook or things like like i mean i can't think of a concrete example right now but when i'm looking at this book i mean first of all i related so hard to portia not just because of like her intense fear of like not being enough and failure but also because she she so focuses on doing acts of service to mm-hmm. other people and she's also like internalized so much so much negativity about herself that she receives from her family and i have a bad family tm so i'm just like immediately like i will protect this is my new emotional support character i'll protect her with my life you're like this is me this is who i am (laughs) yep yep i am forcing myself like yep yep and i mean also i think portia she's so um eager to please but also so um she's also so unfamiliar with like validating herself Mm -hmm. she can't validate herself because so many people in her life have told her that she's not like, or with particularly her parents, whose opinions are so important to her, despite the fact that her priorities are totally yeah. different than theirs. Like, she can't internalize that because they're her parents. Like, they, I'm familiar yeah. with the feeling. <laughs> so, and particularly Tav, Tavish, is like, I am kind of soured in some ways on Grumpy and Sunshine because I think that's what put, usually when the man is the grump, it puts so much emotional mm-hmm. labor on the woman to like draw him out and make him fun. But in this one, the grump is earned yeah. to me and he's like not he's not shitty he's just kind of like emotionally withdrawn and people around him love him and the people who he has prioritized as you said have like you know asserted themselves in his life in the way that he'll let them be and what he needs to do is like emotionally open himself up to get hurt he's like i'm ready to get hurt again good (laughs) yeah i i think i love love him i think i do want more like grumpy woman um and and soft boys like I really do want more of that like I feel like the himbo is there for that purpose let him be with someone who really needs the love of a himbo um mm-hmm. but yeah I think that that's kind of the thing that I come back to with her works in particular is that it is possible to write oh, my cat's looking at me with like what's going on 
<laughs> but she took a poop so that we could all know that she's here and she will be heard. Yep. I mean, it's her house. You You're okay, just sweetie? In it. You okay? You're... <laughs> Sometimes she just looks up at, at the sky and I'm like, but her eyes will be like little slits. And I'm like, are you mad? I'm like, oh, that's just how her eyes work. Um, But back to romance. Is she like focusing on a, on a is she focusing on a, like a little bit of light on the sky? Like, yeah, she's just like looking out the window just and like... it's just like, she has this angry look on her face and I'm just like, who hurt you? She's seeing the future. Exactly. She's having a that's so raven <laughs> moment. Um... <laughs> but yeah, I think that's why I love Alyssa Cole's work so much is that she really knows how to write interesting people first and foremost. Because sometimes you'll read a story and it's like the romance is fine, but you never build any attachment to the people that you're reading about. But I find that I always find myself attached to the characters that she's writing about for that moment. And yeah, I just I really loved Portia, especially I just. For the moment she's introduced, just like, oh, I just sprayed myself and my love interest with mace. I was just like, uh, <laughs> a friend for all seasons. That was a great moment. <laughs> I love, uh, what I particularly love about Portia isn't just like that she's so real and vulnerable, but also like she is hyper competent and she can't like kind of square that idea with all this negative self-talk yeah. she has. So she has these like dual feelings, which people are like, oh, you got to be a strong woman. And the strong black woman thing is already a problem. But like the idea that she is both strong and vulnerable, which I think her the sister-in-law character, whose name is, is it Kathy? I think so, yeah. Yeah, she articulates like, just because she's super strong and assertive does not mean she also can't be soft. And I was just like, yes. I I totally agree. And... (laughs) You know, I think, like, as I recall, Portia has ADHD, and I think it's just, it's very important as well, as someone who just recently got diagnosed with a mild case of ADHD, it is also very important to to see, you know, women, because, you know, women get, are underdiagnosed, at least from my generation, at least, and then women of color, Mm -hmm. especially, so to have a character like that, who is shown to... You know, that hurts. I think there's, like, when we talk about mental, you know, mental illnesses or, like, the range of them, there's also desire, like, we're going to fix you. And this book is really, and it's like, girl, if it was that simple, if only. (laughs) But a lot of it is Portia learning to come to terms with the things about her that make her great. Like, that hyper-competency, that ability to organize, that that analytical mind. Like, all of that is worth having. The thing is just knowing that she has value already. And I think that's so important to read because it's not about fixing anyone. It's about allowing yourself to finally appreciate the value of what your lived experience is like. Oh, I I totally agree. I think mental health representation has come a long way in uh, romance, particularly because for a while I was reading books that were like, it's his dark secret. He has dyslexia. And I'm like... Yeah. Okay, I understand why that would make you angsty, especially a lot of period romances will have. I think I've read two where the guy, like, can't get reading to work for him. And, like, I'm like, okay, they don't have meds or anything yet. It, it's understandable that that would make you feel, like, you know, stupid or whatever at the time. But, like, even reading, like, modern books where it's like, oh, even there's a Bridgerton one, I think, where uh, one of, like, the wives, like, of the characters who's, a, like, a widower, like, walks into the sea because she's so depressed. And it's like, 
this is not the mental health representation we need, my guy. I know. And as somebody who grew up reading, like, problematic 90s shoujo, which I love. Like, it fed me. Mm-hmm. It definitely is why it has sort of, like, a darker tint when as a writer. But I do, like, it is always like, oh, you got mental illness? Well, you gonna die. And it's just like, I remember as a kid <laughs> thinking, like, sure am. You know, like... <laughs> I can relate. Like, it was it was very dark times of, like, because representation of mental illness was so dark, it was so easy for me to get wrapped up in, like, yeah, this is how I'm supposed to feel. Like, of not working within my feelings of depression, but just allowing them to, like, totally consume me because I was like, this is how it's supposed to be. Yeah, my dark thorny campaign is so beautiful. Someone will find it and they'll put me in peace. Yeah. It's like, well, if I keep putting up these walls, at least I have a full wall. You know, it's kind of like maybe the wall is the point. You know, it's like why we build the wall to keep us free from Hades Town. It's just very much like. But but in reality, you've just like walled yourself into a basement with a cask of Amontillado kind yeah. of situation. So it's not, you have not freed yourself, you have in fact condemned yourself. Yeah, I mean, for me especially, because I grew up um, kind of like hyper, I I didn't know that there was something going on with me. Like, I didn't know that I had, I have an anxiety disorder, I've got a bunch of interrelated stuff going on. But um, my brother has autism, and so for my entire childhood, I was just like, okay, maybe they'll find something and he'll be fixed, because that's like the language that I was given, you know? And as an adult looking in on that, I'm like, ooh, girl. Um, oh, no. Oh, no for everyone in this situation. Because we don't really have a concept in particularly American culture. I don't, because I can only really speak for our, you know, our the world that I live in. But disability and neurodivergence are not something to work with. It's something to work over and to, like, quote, unquote, fix. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't, like, what I really loved about uh, Portia in the book is that she's like, okay, I've found this person who her sister sent her to who can help me work with my my limitations and with my ability to function in a way that is productive and joyful and she can celebrate her ability without being like, I guess I'm just broken and I'll never be right? good enough. It's just like, yeah, I really want more of that. I, I really want more of that ability to understand layers. Because to me, the biggest things, like, when it comes to what we need in terms of, like, representation in in um, the romance genre, it really comes down to we need more disability representation. Like, it's so key to represent... Like, you cannot have inclusion unless you have people along that spectrum in your text because it is one of the most like it is one of the biggest mm-hmm. marginalizations and and it can happen to anybody you can become disabled at any point absolutely. in your life and yet we don't celebrate those realities we don't put them in i remember there was a tweet that i forget who sent it out but it was a disability advocate and they were talking about how like with the new santa man that there was so much representation so much diversity but not a single disabled character and I was just like, that's so correct. You know, we don't, we forget that. And especially in like a magical or fictional universe, we're always trying to like either correct the disability or make the disability something that is like the reason for trauma. You know, like I think of like Fate of the Opera, which I've seen a billion times and plan on seeing again. You know, every time I watch it, I just kind of think like, <laughs> dude, like 
it's your personality. Like, you know, like your cre your your personality is what's bad about you. Like you're 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 my guy, you're yeah. just a creep. I can't tell. It's not your facial stuff. It's the you're yeah, a creep. Yeah, and it's just like, I'm like, you're. it's like, it's a thing where like, you're talented, you're rich, you can do cool rope tricks. I'm like, if you weren't trying to like emotionally <laughs> manipulate and seduce a 17 year old, you'd be set. You, you came in here with bad intentions. And that's the thing. Like, you you know, it's like, I remember watching it with my with my girlfriend at the time and just being like, man. He's just like, does he know how many like ugly dudes like can get girls by just being talented? Like, I think on Never Have I Ever, the show, mm-hmm. they just call it like the Ed Sheridan effect. Like, you could give any mediocre looking white guy a guitar, and all of a sudden he's a star. And I'm just like, yeah, Phantom, like, it's all laid out for you. Um, but because that show and that book is not concerned with disability, but sort of just like horror. It can't be about how do we emotionally, you know, how do we emotionally treat somebody? How do we present these things? You know, all of that stuff I feel was done by like fanfic authors, you know, who were really invested in like, Mm -hmm. but what did it mean for this character to grow up in this way? Like, why do they crave love so much? And I feel like those are the things that romance authors are so good at doing because technically your fan of the opera is not a romance. that's what romance authors are so good at doing when they put when the good ones are are just understanding how trauma doesn't go away. It always informs how we react, how we love. But the key is to is to work within, not trying to just get somebody to fix you, you know? And mm-hmm. to go back to this, I think that that's what's so interesting about the relationship between these two people is like there is a bit of an age gap. There's a social gap, but they need they need each other to help click that moment of like, oh, this is what I need to do for myself, not to do necessarily to be with this person. And I think that is like always my favorite trope of like, our love made me better because it made me want to grow for me. I love that too. I think you're definitely right about the pluralism aspect. Like we need everything we don't just need blackness and jewishness and you know southeast asianness and romance we need everything we need everyone represented and like it doesn't have to always be heavy like what i love about this book is that it has these moments of like just adorable lightness there's jokes there's there's jokes and japes there's like you know moments where they're just in community with each other like finding um like commonalities between their upbringings finding like you know what they desire not just like in terms of success but in terms of like a relationship like and I think what I really love about their relationship like you said is is growing together and then finding what you want um I really like that she's the one who discovers it and is like I can't keep this from him I have to be fully honest and like I will support you I love that because like I kind of assumed that he knew and kept it a secret. I was just like, ooh, secret, secret Duke offspring. Because, like, that kind of seemed very true to his character to me, that he would, like, be like, I mean, but this is, I can just hold on to my space, and this is my house, and I can support my brother and my sister-in-law and, like, have everything, you know, have my cake and eat it too, as it were. Mm -hmm. But given the character that we're working with, he also can see the good that he can do with the Dukeness. Like, he's not interested in the bowing and the scraping. For him, it's... I have so much money now to devote to social programs and yeah. that I could like protect my neighborhood. Um, and I think 
that Portia realizes, like, I mean, she is kind of, you know, a poor little rich girl in a lot of ways, but, like, not in a spoiled way. I think a lot of people love spoiled characters, and I'm like, mm, that hits a bit close to home for me, because everyone always assumes that I'm a spoiled rich girl for various ah, racist yes. reasons. Um, and... And I'm just like, my guy, no, I didn't go to, like, there isn't, like, a Jewish mafia that my parents are a part of that, like, I had, like, I'm, like, a princess. Like, I've had problems. You mean, you mean you're not actually Mrs. Maisel? Like, I don't understand. No, I, I mean, we're cousins, but uh, <laughs> it is true. Not all Jews are related, but we do all know each other in kind of, like, um in, like, a, um, like, a seven degrees of Kevin Bacon way. Got it, like, got it. Yeah, so although apparently there was a bottleneck in Europe in, like, the 1400s, so all Ashkenazi-descended Jews are, like, 30th Ooh. cousins. So, y'all, if you're Jewish and getting married, get genetically well, tested. Well, you know, that, <laughs> you don't that happens marry your in, like, I think Sweden, you have to do that as well. Um, and uh, my current girlfriend, uh, her mother is uh, from Ireland, and she took a paternity test, and she's, like, 98% Irish. She's like, mm-hmm. wow. There's a lot of cousin stuff must have been going on there, you know. We all got to check it out. Well, cousin marriage isn't that, it wasn't that stigmatized for a really long time. Like, I think even my great-grandparents' time, like, cousin marriage was not that weird. I mean, in this book, you have a recommended cousin marriage where his cousin's like, oh, you really don't know how the aristocracy works. People would want us to get married. Exactly. It's like, this is exactly, this is the future that they want. Um... The future we want is inbred English people so so white you that they're transparent. You exactly. can do studies. There's there's someone who I follow who does sort of like um uh what you call it like royals videos and she did a whole thing about the Habsburgs and like why they were so inbred and it's like wow they had the same four grandparents and you're just sitting here like oh my god you know like. Well, yeah. I mean, if you have any interest in, I don't know if you're like you had a hyper fixation on like historical royals at any point in your teen oh, years, like I did. I, I'm very but, obsessed. Oh yeah, yeah. I think that's like all queer people have to pick. Like, okay, is it which you'll have like a couple decades to work with, and it's going to be Greek mythology, it's going to be historical like royals, it's going to be weird beheadings yeah. or sharks. Um, I got all of them. It just kind of turned out that way, but. So I, fi- I like I was really interested in hemophilia for a while, because like yeah, the Queen Victoria connection, like anyone who's like her grandchild or whatever, like could carry the gene, and it's just like, man, there's a good reason why we're all pretty careful yeah. about that now. Yeah, it's really, <laughs> it's really interesting because I definitely like I got into Xena, Xena got me into mythology, mythology got me into history. I watched the Tudors, and then I was like a. a, a, a uh, Henry VIII expert for the rest of my life and like I'm actually working on a video about monarchy like how it's represent- about how female monarchies are in media and it's so interesting because like I I wonder sometimes the way in which we romanticize female leadership and those roles is just so weird to me because I, I think it's very mm. you know it's it's one of those things where, like, for example, like, I watched The Great. And mm-hmm. why I hate the girl bossing of monarchs is because, like, half of these women, even if they're interesting, <laughs> it's like half of them were anti-Semitic. Half of them were imperialist. 
Oh yeah, Catherine the Great, I believe, established the Pale of the Settlement, where all my ancestors kind of hung out for 200 years until they Absolutely. were kicked out. Like, my, one of my favorite historical figures is like Mary Tudor, aka Bloody Mary, quote unquote. And like Bloody her, Mary, the killer of all the Protestants, yeah, TM. You know, more than they say, they over they over embellish John Fox was a little bit yeah. in his bag in that moment. But, like, that's the granddaughter of, like, Isabel and Ferdinand, which are responsible for, like, so much imperialism, so much, like, you know, the mm-hmm. expulsion of the Jews, expulsion of the Muslims. Um, you know, I was baptized Anglican. Crusade stuff. Didn't didn't they do crusade stuff, that too? That was just all like? of them. But, yeah, they did, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everybody be crusading yeah, all over the but place. But what Isabel and Ferdinand really did was they were very much, like, trying to take spain and portugal away from the moors they're like y'all gotta go Mm -hmm. um so like let's purge the impure like middle easterners who come to our land and lived here for hundreds of years and yet like i like so to me i was like listen that's my that's one of my favorite historical characters but you can't girl boss her like she's still like the a benefit of imperialism Mm -hmm. still a mass murderer but so was her dad and her brother and her sister but that's another story um and I feel like it's this way that they, like, want to do this sort of, like, infantilization of women. It's kind of like, we should have more female uh, parole officers. We should have more female prison guards. It's like... <laughs> we need a female despot to show the little girls that they, too, we can behead people. We need the leader of the Marine Corps to be a woman. We need to show everyone that we, too, can drop bombs on small nations. Um... <laughs> And that's really... And that's why I'm running for president of the United but States. Essentially, I mean, like, so much of that rhetoric is like... Because even with the great, it's like, oh, here comes Queen Catherine to help Russia stop being a backwater. And it's like, you do two seconds of research, like, Russia was not a backwater, like, not even a little bit at that time. Like, there had been many female... There had been, like, at least, I think, one or two other female czars uh, before her. Like, mm-hmm. she... Well, and, like, Peter I brought modernization to Russia. If you're going to give anyone yeah, credit. Yeah, it's like, literally, she was carrying on his tradition. And, like, that show infantilizes Catherine so much that even though I think it's a good mm-hmm. show, I find it, like, fundamentally uncomfortable in ways that everyone's like, but why? It's like, because it just feels like they think that female rulers are inherently just, like, you know, just, like, mm. I'm very twee, lo- I'm in, very like, oh I'm no, in, I killed I know, someone. I'm in love and I can't have more than one lover. Meanwhile, the real Catherine of Aragon was getting dick every day. You know, like, you know, she was mm-hmm. ruthless. She, like, was more Russian than her husband. And it's like, rather than, you were right about these tangents. But, like, it, to me, it's just one of those things where it bothers, <laughs> that bothers me. And I think that when it comes to romance, to go back to the main topic, it can frustrate me when, the idea of what makes mm-hmm. the perfect woman in these stories or, like, the heroine is always some, like, very tragic, very, like, virginal or as close to virginal as possible. Um, and it's all about their innocence and not about sort of, like, their personhood. You know, as if it's the same thing. And part of what I really enjoy mm-hmm. about contemporary romance, especially now, is that there's just a lot less of that. There's a lot less emphasis on mm-hmm. virginity. There's a lot, because, you know, all of these, mm-hmm. a lot of these things take place in an era where, like, if you're a woman who's getting it in or a, fe- a femme-presenting person, 
you are like scum. And so it just, it is kind of a relief to be able to like read these stories and enjoy these romances with women in our modern day who are just getting it in. <laughs> you know, I, I love that for them. Yeah, I mean, I like, I like that Portia's like, kind of like, she's not apologetic about it either. Like, she's like, yeah, I have slept with people, live with it. And like, that's, I think very, because I mean, even like now with contemporaries, it'll be like, I've had sex with five men and they were all long-term boyfriends and I'm still very sexually unliberated. Like, I think like people talk about how sexual liberation happened with birth control. I don't think sexual liberation will happen for anyone until we uncouple um, monogamy from sex and morality yeah. from sex. Because Absolutely. women's, like, particularly women, although pretty much anyone who is, like, non, who does not fall strictly within, and I mean, you and I are also, we don't, we don't count as women anymore, just so you know, <laughs> like, because of, well, your blackness, my, my Jewishness and queerness, we are just, like, your queerness also, we're just, like, not allowed. We are not, like, thought of as yeah. women, women in, like, the way that is political ideology of women does not apply to anybody who is not white and in either a monogamous relationship or virginal um like it does not it doesn't count for anybody and like to see in romance like women who are like i'm valuable and i fuck like that's really good for me to see because even like 10 years ago yeah. when i was reading romance at like you know not an, a pretty impressionable age it was like oh you're allowed mm -hmm. to be interested in sex but you're not allowed to have yeah. sex that's it's too much well i think mm. about that all the time like you know someone who loves hip-hop and rap you know i think of like the concept of, of your uh, body count, you know, like, oh, how many people do you sleep with? And I remember, like, for me, I had internalized that a little bit. And then all of a sudden I was like, wait, I don't care. Like, you know, it's like <laughs> if I'm being safe, if I am getting tested, if I am being honest with my partners. Another thing I wish we had more of, honestly, I wish we had more... Um, depictions of heroines with STIs um especially because like you know we're talking about sex and romance like a giant part of the sexually active community has some sort of STI has herpes in mm -hmm. some way has had HPV I've had HPV and I remember just having no everyone has HPV if you don't you're a loser <laughs> <laughs> or you may you know it's just like you know I remember like being so unprepared for having an STI because I had been taught this idea that like if you have sex with the right people you're gonna you're clean you know what I mean it was always just like you mm -hmm. have to do the right thing and when I got one I was like well am I dirty now and I had only had sex with like four people and you did everything right them, and still and it three happens. of them were like long-term serious relationships very very protagonist and it wasn't until after I had really dealt with sort of like that stigma and, and, and getting healing and following people being honest about their experiences that I was just kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm great. I'm fine. You know, I am very happy, very healthy and not as healthy as an STI free, but healthy as in I treat my body with care, you know, and mm -hmm. And like emotional health, not devaluing yourself exactly. because you've had sexual experiences that have led to an infection of any kind like that. The only times I've seen STIs or STDs or any kind of like, 
like any result of sex aside from pregnancy depicted in um romance is when like oh the the old duke was insane and syphilitic like it's all like you know in in, in regencies like he had an sti and he went insane like i don't like that <laughs> yeah exactly it's always like some you know punishment and i think that's so difficult because what does that tell somebody who just got herpes from touch you know someone who got it from someone that she cared about you know or just someone who just has it in general like it's so common that we don't have any of like any of these romance novels that deal with it not that i can think of anyway it just kind of feels absurd because that's such a giant part of what it means to be sexually active in the modern world you know like we don't see a lot of stuff with you know HIV and AIDS what when we live in a time period where like there are people who have HIV and we have the medicine now that it's undetectable like how great would it be to like you know have a book with like a bisexual male character who has HIV and just being very open about that and seeing that embraced by you know his partners you know like those things matter and those are things and those people are just as worthy and important of having romance. And I think it's important mm -hmm. that when we talk about what we want for the future, we're really self-aware of the things that we have stigmatized and not really move beyond. Yeah, and I think it's also part of like a who is worthy of love thing. Like you mm -hmm. can tell by what people are writing, what people are buying, who they think is worthy of love in romance. Like everybody, I mean, not everybody, Hitler does not deserve love, play, play. but. <laughs> Like, most people are just normal humans who deserve to have somebody care about them and want them to enjoy their life and share that joy with them. I think we're also just not seeing a lot of, like, like if you look at, like, you know, Indie Pub, you see a lot of, like, um, a lot of, like, diversity of all different kinds. But if you look at Trad, like, the best-selling stuff is, I mean, there's, like, red, white, and royal blue, but you don't see, like, a lot of menage, you don't see... A lot of like, I mean, I think that the biggest one I've seen is Wicked Beauty by Katie Robert, who writes, she writes like pretty kinky stuff, which is great. I'm glad to see that coming out. And like, I don't think that's, I think maybe she's Kensington. I forget which pub she is, but like, mm -hmm. I don't think that I've seen another traditionally published, um, like, you know, non-monogamous romance like come out that has done that well. Like, it's pretty exciting to see that happen. Cause like, I know a lot of people who are non-monogamous and it's like, yeah also deserving of love absolutely you know i think about my future polyamorous relationship with my girlfriend and chris evans all the time and you know i think like you know communication <laughs> and growth will really help us all thrive um but yeah i i do like i love this book and i love what it indicates about the way that romance is shifting towards just broader representation like i love uh i believe it's zenny it's by Rebecca, again, who wrote um, Raph. And I love that book because it was like, oh, yeah, it's uh, both the love, both love interests were bisexual. Uh, and it's like, I was like, bisexual man, bisexual woman, every, and like, it wasn't like a casual thing. Like, it was like, they're like, yeah, I've been with, like, it was something that was just there, put in the story, very normalized, and like, very sexy. And it's just like, Rebecca is, the, like, I, I stand Rebecca Weatherspoon. I think that they are just so great at what they do. And I just remember reading that feeling like, I didn't know that we could do this. But now that I know that we can, 
this is all I want. Like, that's how I felt when I read yeah. Talia Hibbert's um, Ravenswood books because she writes protagonists who are, uh, who are autistic. And I just remember thinking to myself, like, I'm so happy that I get to read this book about this black autistic girl falling in love and, like, just being happy. Like, I love that. Tanya Hibbert is such an MVP. I I mean, I have her on, like, Google Alert. That is how serious our relationship is in my head. Um, I love her books. I love her voice. She also has a, a contemporary um, a contemporary royal romance. I forget what it's called, but it's... Um, I remember the name of the protagonist, Cherry, because she's just such, like... She's one of my favorite romance protagonists of all time. She is, like, a hyper-confident, comp- hyper hyper-competent, and, like, super like self-asserting um and like it's very much a he's grumpy she's um sunshine but he is just so down immediately he's just like i would die for her and she's like he's okay um i love and i love i love that dynamic i love a man who is just all in right away because i feel like that's i mean also pretty true to life Mm -hmm. um because i think that a lot of the time um a lot of people have like an instinctive um like attraction people and then like you know as you get to know them better it's like oh okay yeah very good fit and then for i think a lot of women because of the way that we experience the sexual marketplace we have to be a little more skeptical Mm -hmm. (laughs) because it's especially if you date men and women men generally the the greatest danger we experience in life they're the bears of our world so Mm -hmm. um you know you have to be careful um, but, like, I mean, I remember personal story. The, like, the first time I took my then-boyfriend, now-husband, to meet my friends, he was like, am I your boyfriend? And I was like, it remains to be seen. <laughs> um, he, he was a party associated with me. Uh, so, you know, like, I think one of the, that's one of the things I love so much about Talia's works is that usually it is, like, the men or, or male, like, presenting people are like, I am down, let's go. And the women are like, mm, hold that thought. Although I being I think that Eve Eve Brown I think is the book you're talking about. Yeah. She has such a special place in my heart. First of all, I love autistic people finding love with each other because it's it's so good to like the understanding there. Yeah. Like for her to come to understand herself more fully by falling in love with him. I love that. That's my that's my shit. But I also just love Eve. I mean, she has very a lot of similarities to Portia in this. And, like, everybody's like, oh, Eve, she doesn't complete anything. She doesn't ever, like... I, I read this book way too many times. <laughs> I own three different copies in three different formats. I love that for you. Um, I mean, she's just... Talia, call me. Um, but, like, what I love about Eve is that she eventually is just... Like, she doesn't take a lot of it in the stride, but she still feels it. You know, like, she's, like, confident and she knows how great she is. But she can't help but let other people's perception of her as a fuck up mm-hmm. kind of get to her. And like she and um, Portia are both, both trust fund babies, both like people who've been able to pursue a bunch of different dreams but haven't settled down yet. Yeah. And then when they do find the thing that's for them, like I really I love that. Whenever somebody finds like their thing, like, you know, a star falls from the sky. Like it's so good for me. Mm-hmm. That is so fun. Yeah, I, t- I, I think that's so, so true. Yeah, I, I just talking to you, I'm like, man, I want to reread all of these books. Um, I'll make you a list. Please we'll, do. We'll have a book club. I would love that. <laughs> please. I just want to I want to read all the spicy. Um, and I have I you read Therese Bahari at all. Which one? Therese Bahari. I don't think so. Um, what's the title by her that I should look up? Oh, I forget what it's called, but it's I'll, I'll send it to you. But basically, I just read this amazing one by her. She's got one that's coming out soon. And it's like the, the duology for this one. But this one is about 
uh, a romance writer actually who like sees stuff in her dreams and then she meets a man who like somehow is also in her dreams but he like kind of can do stuff he like you know he has act action in them when like he normally nobody else does when she makes them up mm-hmm. and like they have like really great chemistry i don't remember everything that happens but it's such a good book and it's actually set in cape town which is so cool Ooh, because okay. so few so few romances are set outside the u.s and my godmother is from cape town so i'm just like yes all right, I, all right. I you know what i just found her and i am gonna go check that out that is really interesting i you know it's so true like i do follow a lot of british um a lot of black british writers um Mm-hmm. So African yeah, diaspora, exactly. like definitely like like the diasporic writers, like, and I think when you look at them all together, you see a lot of really good trends in how they write and treat. You know, I think it's just wanting to see women of color be loved, you know, and and loving all different kinds mm-hmm. of of people, you know, like it's 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 interracial love, it's interracial love, it's just the ability to be loved as a as a perfectly imperfect person and I feel like that's that's really all we want you know all we want to do is to see ourselves be loved and everyone deserves that yeah and I think that that's like that's something that isn't like recognized a lot like I think for a lot of people what they're looking for in romance is just escapism and I think that's awesome that's what the last three years Mm -hmm. have been for me I'm just like let's not think about tomorrow um, for me, it's just like, let's just keep going. And I mean, I love, like, particularly um, urban fantasy is like my shit. I just want to read about werewolves having problems. Um, like like Patricia Briggs, Iona Andrews, I'm all up in that. But at the same time, I also want to read about, like, actual stuff that's happening. Like, one of the things that I really loved about this book was talking about um, how... Uh, it, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, Identification for sure. was like making his neighborhood, making Tav's neighborhood look unlivable for all these kids who, you know, are just trying to get by every day, trying to not get bullied, trying to like, you know, enjoy things. And like how I think that we don't think enough about in fiction about how important community is. Like individualism is embedded into like so many different genres, particularly high fantasy, which is something that I really enjoy, but I have difficulty like, one book that I think did this really well. Have you read um, Naomi Novik's yes, Spinning have. Silver? I really like that. I love that book. It made me cry. There's a, there's a line at the end like, um, oh, no matter where I am, um, I will, like, my children will always be Israel. Ugh, just chills. Aww. Chills, I'm telling you. But, like, at the, like, at the, like, the whole thing that she's doing with, with her, like, love interest is they're building his community. They're protecting his people. And I think that's the only way that I'm actually, I find, um, like, heroes and heroines who are um, in it, like, in a royal situation palatable for me is when they are in it, like, not because of, like, intrigue or whatever, although that's also fun. It's community building. It's, like, protecting and, and, like, like the my people, like, my democracy kind of situation. Like, like, you know, there's a certain suspension of disbelief, but, like, believing that Tav is doing the right thing for the right reason is like the reason yeah, I root absolutely. for him, you know. Yeah. Uh, this is just making me just want to read so much. I like I love re- You know what it is like I love reading, but I always feel like I never <laughs> have any time to do it. And like I'm working on my work-life balance, but it's like there's just so much like and the thing about romance especially is that it would be so fun to just like devour a, a work and then 
like just sit with it you know like you can rush romance so easily because the books are just so tightly written and I like love that about it but sometimes I think I forget to really just sit and enjoy the feast you know if that makes any sense just like enjoying this little meal Mm -hmm. that I have for myself you're savoring yeah yeah I think that's one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast not just because I think it's interesting for people to hear what people and authors I mean I particularly talk to authors but I mean you're a writer also um and a bunch of other different kinds of people who are just interested in romance like members of the community um what people are interested in is like what do you like what are you what are your autobuys like I think that it's really fun to deconstruct why you like something that's one of the reasons I love reviews I love writing reviews I love talking to people who are like also doing that because like I don't really usually think too deeply about why I like stuff just like mine I like it um and I mean I also like power through reading because I'm a librarian so it's kind of like a part and parcel of the job I have to know what's going on I have to read a lot but like actually sitting and savoring is really important I think also because then you're like it gives you time to like synthesize the information and be like what did I like about this what should I look for for more and I mean this is also part of the fun you know like talking to someone who has the same interests as you do and wants to read more and now I have inundated you with more and more things that will keep you busy (laughs) I oh and I'm very excited about that but yeah I think that's what's so like that's what's fun about this period especially where we're getting so much more stuff like and and that not only do we get to support it but that we get to figure out what we like because there used to be this pressure that like you have to love everything because if we don't get it done now we're never going to have another you know relationship like this again um and I think now we're allowed to just really enjoy things for what it is um and, and, like, we can choose, like, oh, I support all of these queer romances, but I like this one the best. And I'm like, that's fun. That feels good. It feels good to be able to just enjoy something and love things that are, like, for you. But also know that there's so much representation out there that you don't have to love everything. You know, like, that's really, to me, is the goal that, like, we don't step on anybody We don't like, you know, drag anyone down, but we just have so many options that even if we don't like something, we got 20 more things that we could like. Yeah, I mean, I think what's the, yes, I want that so badly. My favorite thing about that is that like, it used to kind of be like you said, you had to support like, oh, if, if we don't go see Black Panther, they'll never make another black superhero movie again. Like they won't like if it doesn't make any money. We'll never get another one. But like now, I mean, it's not so much with Marvel, but they're making a lot of black media that like now you can watch, you know, you could watch Lovecraft Country if you like it, although eh. you can watch like, you know, there, yeah. there's more. It's not like they made one girlfriend and now we have it and it's over. Um, you don't have to like blackish. I have problems with it. You don't have to like, yes. you know, like there's like giving space and like giving grace to like okay maybe this isn't for me maybe I'll find something else like for example Miss Maisel I don't have to love it because there's other great shows out there that I can love there are other great things being made right now Amy Sherlin Palladino and I are going to meet in an alley one day and it's going to be a really interesting time um, oh yeah that's, that's like, going to be me and Julie Plex so don't worry we all we all got that somebody oh my god I need I feel like Julie Pleck is like the secret adversary of half of the like 
you know, media critics on the internet. I'm just, I'm so, I, I want from you an essay. Have it on my desk tomorrow morning <laughs> about Julie I mean, I, well, I, I am working on a book, but I, I, um, about, like, working on two things, but one of them is talking about sort of, like, the black experience and fandom. And what I will say Stan Cat Graham. Protect Cat Graham at protect, all costs. Like, I cannot wait. To, like, I can't watch Sophia Carson's new movie because I don't want to give that any more attention. But Cat Graham is going to be in a movie with, like, Luther from Umbrella Academy, a.k.a. Percival from Merlin, a.k.a. Billy Bones from Black Sails. And I'm just like, finally, more Cat Graham rom-coms. That's what I want. I need more Cat Graham content in my veins. Inject it into me. Like, I mean, one thing about Cat Graham in that show that really surprised me is that, like, she's one of the only people in the show who can actually act. And I'm like, why aren't you utilizing this actress who knows what she's doing? She has more than two expressions. Exactly. <laughs> like, the CW style of acting is, it's certainly a choice. And I mean, like, especially if you look at, like, um, like shows like Riverdale, things have not changed, like, in the way that the television that's aimed at teens... Like, like you get like they'll give you they'll be like okay we'll give you a, a biracial uh, lesbian teen romance sure we'll give you a you can have a little bit of that as a treat we're still gonna right. pay you less <laughs> so I've got like a lot of uh, opinions TM about like how that stuff works out in media because but I am really glad that like you know there is more out there and like like you said earlier a rising tide lifts all boats so like. You know, when more lesbian stuff comes out, there will it will perpetuate more lesbian and sapphic media. When more like bisexual stuff comes out, there'll be more of it. Like I read um, a lot, like Adios. I think Alexis Daria's latest. I'm pretty sure it's her latest. Both bisexual. Neither of them interested in marriage. Neither of them interested in kids. Like no kids is such oh, a yeah. huge like thing. Everybody's like not into the child free thing, and I'm like I'm here for any character who knows what they want. I do not like uncertainty when it comes to like what people want from their lives if you're like like that's one thing that i'm like you should know if you want kids if you're getting into a long-term yeah. relationship or at least have that discussion about it yeah that's a conversation you have whenever i like read something where it's like oh yeah we just never discussed it i'm like what are you who eh. <laughs> that's the first thing the rabbi asked me when we were when we were like so you want to get married and she was like okay kids or no kids <laughs> Well, it might not have been the first thing, but it was yeah. in the top five. And I'm like, there, there is this, like, I think it's uh, kind of a taboo because sex and reproduction are so tied together in, particularly in romance, but I mean, also politically, socially, whatever. Like, the purest expression of love is to let someone come in you. And I'm like, okay, sure, Jan. Exactly. <laughs> this is very devaluing of any sex that doesn't involve a penis, but sure, whatever, like... And I mean, you know, we also, I would like to see more, a lot of like the workaround people do with a bisexual relationship is, oh, she already had the kid before she met her new female love interest. So now we don't have to worry about the discussion of whether they want kids together. They already have a kid. It's all built in and there was a man involved. So it's all yeah, good, exactly. right? And so I'm really, I mean, I actually am writing something right now that has something similar to that, but there's, there's nuance to it. So I'm okay with it. I really do like there's one thing in your content that I really wanted to bring up, which is I feel like you have kind of an ethos of just because something isn't perfect doesn't mean we have to hate it. Like you're like, we don't have to say thing bad. Let's talk about why thing interesting. Yeah. Or, you know, I just I think like for me, definitely during the first kill stuff, 
it was very mm -hmm. interesting to see people kind of lose all sense of literary criticism and history when it came to why something like First Kill would be important for people. Like, I definitely don't say that you need to pretend that it was a higher or better quality than it was. Like, that's to me, is not what anyone needs. Um, but it was weird to have people be like, ugh, like, here we go, another lesbian, bi you know, interracial <laughs> vampire story. And I'm just like, what other lesbian, biracial interracial stories y'all y'all had like let please. me go check the shelf i don't remember that yeah, I'm like, nobody did no one did i miss a memo or something you know <laughs> so i was very i was blinking in confusion quite a bit as to what representation these people were talking about because apparently i missed it but that was pretty much what i felt it wasn't that i didn't understand why people might feel differently but it was kind of this lack of understanding like this is important because we do not get this. And I think for me, like I said before, I want us to get to a place where things can just exist and there is no pressure to watch it. But that's also not where we're at quite yet now. And it feels mm -hmm. weird that people don't understand that. You know, and I don't want to sound condescending or try to say that there's only one way to be an ally because I don't believe that. What I do mm -hmm. think is that as, as each generation makes strides in terms of representation, especially when it comes to queerness, it's very easy to forget that all this stuff came from sacrifices. All this stuff came from people really working their ass off to make sure that these things could happen. Nothing was given to any of us and it can all get taken away you know um mm -hmm. we're seeing what's happening with roe v wade we saw what happened with roe v wade not even seeing we saw it and everyone's like how did this happen and it's like because we were <laughs> passive because people were passive because people thought mm -hmm. everything was fine everyone thought everything would be like normal and it just mm -hmm. wasn't and i think that it's so important that we understand that all of these things that we've gained can go away like this if we're not paying attention. You know, the CW mm -hmm. was a super, like, lot of problems. So many problems. But in these last couple of years, they were one of the most diverse channels on broadcast television. And now almost all of the shows that made it that way are gone. So mm -hmm. Black Lightning, All American, like haven't they all pretty well, much been canceled? All American hasn't been canceled, but like at least I don't I don't think so. But they like Batwoman, you know, Charmed, which had its problems, but did have an all female cast, all woman of mm -hmm. color cast. Um, mm -hmm. And like all newcomers too, like they didn't have like any star power behind it. That in and of itself is exactly. pretty surprising. Like with a lot of these like teen shows, what they want to do is put like a put like a like a power behind it so they can cast all of these like one show that i think did it super well did you watch um yes, a good I place did. what i loved about that is that almost all of the characters of color were unknowns so they brought in these amazing actors who really knew what they were doing and they didn't have to have a big name because they brought in Kristen bell and ted danson to be like token whitey which yeah. was fine for me because like i don't mind a token white character as long as like 
the show calls for it. I don't think we need white. I think we've had enough of white people. Um, <laughs> just personally well, we speaking. Need to keep doing, we don't need to keep doing the orange is the new black thing of like, let's give us an entry level white person to get white mm-hmm. people to watch the show that's really about people of color. Yeah, and I think the show was about, like, that show was about personhood, and so you had to represent, like, the depth of the human experience, and they did that with, like, you know, they had um, an Arizona dirtbag, a clueless wonder, mm-hmm. Tahani Al-Jamil, my, the queen of my heart, <laughs> for whom I stan, and Chidiana Gagne, the romance leader we need. If somebody doesn't put that man, uh, Jonathan Harper, I think yeah. his name is, into a, a television show where he's the romantic lead now... I'm gonna. I'm going to like actively start I protesting. I feel like they have been doing it, but it's with like certain things that like are like genre. I think like he's the romantic lead in like, um, the resort, but I don't know what it's about. I haven't heard of that, hmm, I heard I would, of that like, one. And, he, and also, even though it's not a like a straight up romance, uh, it's also very good. He's very good in um. Uh, it was the adaptation by, let me look it up, because that's going to bother me. It was with him and another black woman. It was, um, let me see. Uh... Jonathan Michael Harper, I think. Maybe? He's got three names. Yeah. He's got three I'm names. Like, I, yeah, uh, it is Will, William William Jackson Harper. Okay. Ah, you see, I just put a bunch of names together. There's some presidents in You're there. Like, I made it work. This will come together. Um, He was in, yeah, the Underground Railroad. It was... Oh, the Colson Whitehead thing. Yeah, the Colson and it, Whitehead. And it was directed by Barry Jenkins, and it was so good. And the relationship between um, his character and the lead was just so good. And it was so beautiful. And it was just so nice to see, like, this, like, this black love. And again, in this really um, dark situation. It's a pretty serious text, yeah. yeah. <laughs> And it's just like, this is, this is what we love to see. <laughs> I have to watch that because I'm a huge fan of his. And I think, especially an actor like him who's pretty versatile, I haven't, I've only seen clips of him and other stuff, but like he, he can do it all. He's like, he's, you know, like Ginger Rogers backwards and in heels. He yeah. can do anything. Yeah. So I'm a big fan. Manny Jacinto, like that show really like to me nailed what we need to be doing in diversity in television because whenever somebody says, oh, we can't cast a Pakistani person in this, we don't have a big name. Like... There's like five Southeast Asian women in Hollywood. <laughs> we got to pick one. Um, and not, and so like, and not what cast I, them in anything that no. <laughs> would be correct. Nothing that makes them look desirable or interesting. Um, or like, you know, anything other than a, a stereotype. That's what we're doing is stereotypes. That's, what, that's our stock and trade. But so what I love is that show in particular was like, okay, we've got this wide cast of characters in corner of like semi-ensemble cast and they're all going to be fully realized human beings with their own shit. And... Like, half of them are going to be people you've never seen on television mm-hmm. before. And so, like, I think that was a show doing diversity yeah. well. I love seeing it. For example, I think in Riverdale it's pretty manufactured because, like, the friggin', um, I mean, Riverdale's the best-known CW show right now, but it's so bananas. It's cuckoo it's bananas. So um, but, like, the way that they made, like, they should have just cast, they shouldn't have cast um, the Sprouse brother to play um, Jughead. They should have cast somebody like like a like an in, like an indigenous or a um hispanic person because if they were going to go the route of oh this gang stuff is actually based on i don't know how much of the show you've seen but it's i've freaking seen insane. I've, I've seen a lot of it and i also was like a huge archie fan 
mm-hmm. before because I like I like just love Archie comics. And so to me, mm-hmm. the big bummer of Riverdale was like that, you know, now it's canonical that Jughead is Arrow Ace and they're like, mm-hmm. eh, no, we're just going to make we're going to we're going to make him and Betty fuck. And I'm just like, Ugh. and I'm just like, Ugh, really hate that. They were like, no, but look, you can make them kiss. Make them kiss. <laughs> I mean, I think it was partially like the, well, we can't, because because of our modern dating, it's not like it was in the 50s when like, you know, Archie could go out with Veronica one night with Betty the next night. The kids need to have their ships. Um, and it couldn't just be that he dates both of them. I don't see why he couldn't. I, I know. Um, and it's like, it's so funny because the actor who plays Archie is a man of color. He's just very white presenting. At- oh yeah. Very fair skinned. At- and they dye his hair, and so, like, I know. you know, I think he does have, like, he has pretty indigenous features, and so, like, if you, you know, look carefully, you as can soon, see it. As soon as his hair but, is dark, it all comes through. Yeah, and he play, he mostly plays white guys. Yeah. Like, he played, he was in the Hate You Give movie, uh, and he played yeah. the white boyfriend. It's like, his father is Samoan and as a chief, so it's like, he's not, like, so to me, it's very weird that he is, like, playing, like, the whitest character of all time. Um... Mm-hmm. He glows but in like, the dark. But what, what, as soon as I look at him with dark hair, I'm like, that's not a white man. You know, it's it's very it's very in confusion. Yeah. But I that show has like a weird thing about race, not just like the way they treat their black characters, which is interesting. Like the one black man on that show had to be a sexual predator for some okay. reason. Okay, I know. it was so like it, I, like, it uh, was like yeah. I remember when it was cast. It was like, of course Betty was still white because of course she was. Like Veronica. She has to have a blonde Veronica ponytail. being Latina was a was a serve, and I that is my favorite bit of casting for her. It is very weird that Hiram mm-hmm. then went from being like Reagan capitalism to like being like you know just under a a, a mafia king. Uh, just, a <laughs> just a crime guy. He just went to think. I just hate. I mean, I think is I like a lot of things about Veronica as a character. I hate that they were like, okay, they do crime now. I wish they had, I wish he had just been like kind of a bad dad. I think there is a real underrepresentation of yeah. bad dads. I think we need more bad dads. That's <laughs> my new political platform, 2024, make bad dads on TV again. Because like, you know, I really loved Archie's dad is like, I actually made a blog post at one point. Like, who's the worst revolter parent? Mm-hmm. Let's pick one. But like, Hiram Lodge is such, I mean, I think the actor is amazing. I love the actor, but it's cartoonishly stupid that he's like, I'm going to kill my daughter's 15 year old boyfriend. Like it's it's fucking bananas. Ridiculous. I think, I think that's the problem for me is that like, first of all, Veronica is just so attractive. I'm like, and and, like Lily Reinhardt is also like the, the cast is overall very talented, but they just get put into doing the most ridiculous things. I just want better for all of them. Like, I would love to have them, except Cole Spruce, Sprouse, whatever his name is. Uh, Nothing personal, just. Well, they gave him the narrator job because he can't act. They were like, okay, you got to narrate all the episodes because you can't do more than two expressions. Because as a child actor, very talented. Um, I don't know what Mm -hmm. happened. But yeah, I just, I want them all to do better things because I really love them. Yeah. Like Madeline Petch, I think is her, you know, she's great. Mm-hmm. I mean, her and the actress from 
Teen Wolf are like in the same. Like I remember, like when this show came out, I was like, "Man, the girl who played Lydia on Teen Wolf must be pissed because they basically just took her same aesthetic. It was like different character." Um, I think teen stuff, especially like Teen Wolf, like basically ignored the fact the main character was Mexican for like three years and then we get like a throwaway line that his mom's like maiden name is Reyes or something well you know that was a whole thing because like to me it was always this really weird situation because like you look at Tyler Posey and like that's not a white guy and to me it was like and I looked at his mom and I was like well that's not a white woman and it was just weird to me that people not you but that there were a segment of people who are like well he can't well he doesn't really count unless like it's explicitly stated and I'm like, or you could just believe uh, what your eyes are telling you, which is that this is a man of color. Yeah. And like, and it was mostly always done to discredit like the calls for representation about um, Tyler and how he was treated in the community. Is they're like, well, is he really Mexican? I'm like, Yes, he really is. Like, and even if the character, and even if you want to argue, like, the character isn't, okay, fine. But the actor is. <laughs> and so it all is connected, my, 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 my friends. It's all connected. Well, I think, <laughs> I think a part of that also feeds into, like, because you're familiar with, like, the ship culture oh, of the yeah, show a little terrible. bit. It's all Derek and Styles. Because those characters are obviously, they're white, and they do have chemistry, which is, I mean, the, a teenager and adult, not my thing. Like, I understand that, like, in fiction, people can explore things like that, and that's not necessarily, doesn't make you a pervert, although it's not my thing. I think that a lot of the reason that ship exists is because, not just because, like, in the text, you see that Styles and, um, and, and Scott are, like, brotherly. I think it's because, like, they're, like, these are two white men, and they can fuck, and that's yeah. fine with me. Well, it definitely <laughs> is, like, for me, it was, it was more than that. It, to me, it was, like, okay, we don't want to actually deal with the fact that, like, they queer baited so many people and then wanted to be, like, mm-hmm. and then they killed the yeah, one gay they guy. Just, gotta kill your gaze gotta clean up at the end of the season make sure that's not there next time to deal with trust me i'm always down to hold uh fandoms responsible for what they're doing but i also think on a certain level it definitely was like a lot of people who were like just not accepting what was in front of them and then in response the creators were just kind of like well, you know, if the people really want this, then, like, I guess we'll just, you know, play with this idea. Because to me, like, this, like when I think about all the, the, the shit that the women of color on that show had to deal with, and I'm just mm-hmm. like... The harassment alone. Like, exactly. oh my god. Meanwhile, like, did any of these writers just come out and say, like, sorry guys, we know you guys ship it, but, um these characters are straight uh (laughs) like and i mean like i don't think that there's anything wrong with like you know when like a fandom can see something that isn't necessarily there if there's like chemistry between but at the same time like the fact it it was kind of like a proto rose tico thing to me the way that kira was treated Mm -hmm. on this show because it was just emblematic of how asian american women 
are like she had some of the best backstory episodes ever the one with her mom chills that was some of the best stuff and i also love that her mom is an immortal and her dad is 45 like that's that's i love the, yeah. the reversal of that because that doesn't happen a lot and i'm i'm so here for it let's have women it's like that joke in um in uh the tika watiti movie that's like oh you know they say like he's 400 she's only 95 yeah. but but we're happy like i love Absolutely. that so much i think I think when you see these shows like not coming out and defending and not coming out and being like, hey, you can't treat our actresses like that. Hey, you can't. Like, that's emblematic to me of the problems we're seeing. And I'm hoping that shows like First Blood, like, first of all, I love, like, I haven't seen it because I've been just living in a hole for a little bit. But I love the menstrual connotations of that title. I'm like, yes, let's make more. Like, let's make it, let's talk about the female experience. Let's talk more about you know, coming into womanhood. Because I feel like all of these, you know, supernatural shows, they're not about coming of age as a woman. They're about falling in love with these yeah, hot guys. And it, we just need more diversity and, you know, and diversity of all kinds. Like, it's okay for these things to be mm-hmm. imperfect. Um, and I think that people will sometimes be like, well, you want it to be perfect. It's like, I want it to be good, obviously. I don't want to just open my ears mm-hmm. and hear crap. But I also think that everyone's taste is mm-hmm. different. Like, I like cheesy shows. I always have. I always Same. will. So from, I mean, Buffy was so formative for me. And the idea people are like, you have to have everything perfect. I'm like, have you seen a show I mean, more messed up? And it's my, that's my baby. That's my I baby. I wonder, like, when things are going to fully change, if they ever will. But all I know is that I, I really want us to have variety of things. Because so, one person's crap is another person's delight and I just would rather we have variety in what we do than not yeah and I think that like creating that variety means it's only gonna be better stuff like even if you're making a lot of crap there's gonna be a lot of great stuff and some people think the crap is the great stuff like I think we also don't allow space not even for just diversity of like everything that's important like race and sex and like gender and like all of the different things that make up a person. We also just don't allow for diversity of opinion in terms, and not in like a, oh, people should be allowed to hate gay people kind of way, but in like a, people should be allowed to dislike certain things. And like, that's what I think, the romance community has a problem with being like, you don't like my thing, you deserve to die. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Like, I think making space for like, good for you, not for me. Like, you know, not my circus, not my monkeys. Like that's, a thing that I think about a lot because I mean I get the ick from a lot of things that are just not it's not written for me it's not what I need I can enjoy my stuff and you can enjoy your stuff and we can meet in the middle on a beautiful bridge made of rainbows like but yeah I mean that's one of the reasons this book was definitely my shit I thought I'd read all the reluctant rolls but I guess this one kind of like passed me by somehow um so I'm going to put it I'm going to put it on my like my pinned wall of yes good boy um and, you know, like, I think that I've definitely read books for this show that I'm like, mm, no, thank you. Like, I read a book um, for a, a podcast. It was actually the first straight one we read. So that was fun. Most of my the books I get for this show are oh, gay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to break that trend, honestly. Hey, next time you can bring a gay one on, it'll be all will be forgiven. You will be you'll be welcomed back. All right, good. I was like, oh, no, I'm a traitor now. Oh, no. It's okay. It's okay. We're both traitors and nobody likes bisexuals. So, um, but I've had, let's see, I think I've had two or three. I had the first one was gay and the second one was gay and the third one was gay. 
but that one's not out yet. It's there's like a whole bunch of like you know moving parts. So this is like I think now we're exactly 50 50, 50 straight, right. 50 gay. That's, that is true bisexuality right there. Yeah, I think you know I I've only read one book for the show that I was like mm, no thank you because I think a lot of we all have pretty similar like interests and tastes. But it was just I think because it was from a different generation. Like this book came out in the eighties, the one that I'm talking about, mm. and it was just like. First of all, it was, like, kind of crimey, which can be fun, but it wasn't, like, silly fun uh, crime. It was, like, monetary crime, which is not so my bag. Like, I'm like, let's do fun capers, not let's figure out how to falsify checks. Yeah, you're like, I would love this if it were other kinds of crime. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm very big gay do crimes, but I want there to be, like, a fun, like, tippy-top hat situation of, like, and that was me on my... And then, like, you get yanked off the stage by, like, one of those, like vaudeville cane situation like i love yeah. silly crime i'm not that into like I, mean, I don't really read thrillers like i am a i'm like a i'm like a delicate flower i require lots of jokes and along with my like heavy shit i want my my little cream cup of coffee over here i, I totally hear all of that <laughs> i do love the dark stuff like i've i've read my share but i think Particularly, like, reading books that came out in, like, the 1980s and 90s, I'm like, oh, we have come far. Maybe not far oh, enough, yeah. but There's far. There's definitely a, a pivot when you <laughs> see what comes, uh, especially because now I'm, I'm rereading some books, and I'm just like, man, the, this, is, this is wild shit. And to a degree, I will admit, <laughs> I do, I think the last thing I'm going to say before I have to head out, like, I do want to allow writers to feel as if they can talk about their trauma like I feel like there's a line between is this perpetuating something and is this somebody sharing their truth and I think it's mm -hmm. very important to like know the difference because that's how we get people to tell their stories I think it's very important that we that we find a ways to to live in that line at least to me. Mm -hmm. I, I, do, I don't want uh, survivors to feel like they can't write about their realities because it's too dark. Oh, yeah. I'm not about, like, policing people at all about what they write. I do think that there's, a like, a certain glamorization of trauma mm -hmm. and a certain, like... I mean, for example, um, there's a book that just came out I'm Glad My Mom Died by Jeanette McCurdy. And oh, yeah. I'm like, claps all around. I'm so happy for her. Monetize that. Pay for more therapy. Buy yourself a roller coaster. Do whatever you want. Because, like, I'm so happy to see people out there, like, talking about, like, living in your truth is a difficult enough thing to do in private. Doing it in public and making that available to people and, like, sharing your story is so friggin' hard. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really glad to see that. Well, I do know we have to wrap up, but thank you again so much for coming on. It was such a delightful time. It was such Absolutely. a great book. It was a great book, and I love talking to you about it. This was so fun. Thank you. And I hope we get Absolutely. to see you again soon. I definitely would love that. <laughs>